Welcome back to Gustoon's Jets podcast. With me today is someone who describes himself as a journalist, broadcaster, author, editor, producer. So he's a pretty busy fella, so I'm absolutely thrilled he's going to join me today. It was by chance that a fellow Jets fan pointed me in his way, and I wanted to find out a bit more information and stories about the NFL, and particularly its grassroots here in the UK. So this guy that I know, he said, you've got to get this book. It's called The American Football Revolution, and it's by this amazing guy called Ben Isaacs. Welcome, Ben. Wow, that's that's a hell of an intro, Gus. <laughs> and I'm, I'm 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 hoping I'm hoping I can I can live up to it. I'm sure you. It's all deserved. It's all deserved. I've I've got your book sat in front of me now, and um, I've just I've started reading it. I haven't got all the way through it, and it's a thoroughly entertaining read. Uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to read the, the back part of this because I. If guys, if you want this book, I'm not going to tell you what's in it. You're going to have to go and buy it. But the, one of the last paragraphs on the back of the cover, it says, From the man who sold his home so he could tour the NFL's tailgate parties to the one who turned his love of the sport into an all-consuming passion for fantasy football, these are the stories of the fans who transformed the NFL from a curiosity to a mainstay in the British sporting landscape. I love that. I absolutely love that. And this is what this book encompasses. So if you want to know the grassroots, where and how, this is the one. This is the one. So Ben, how did you actually um, come into actually writing this book? What was it that you inspired you to, to do this? Um, I, it's because I felt that the hardcore NFL fans were not given anywhere near enough credit for making the sport what it is in the UK right right now. So when I was writing it, it was uh, 2022, and it was 40 years since the first Channel 4 broadcast. And, you know, it's like night and day. I mean, the, the world is so different. The media is so different um, to 1982. But in a, in a lot of ways, the fans have stayed the same. There are a lot of people who were, were around in the 80s, who are still around now, have stuck with the sport through thick and thin. They're the people who are always on buying game pass subscribing to sky sports they are they're volunteering they are buying tickets if they can for the for the games in london and just creating a whole support network and someone had said to me early in the process about how the uk fans will fill in the gaps for each other and i thought what a beautiful way of putting it especially back in the old days where we wouldn't have access to the internet and it was fan clubs that were around and people creating newsletters and now it's generally it's it's podcasts like podcasts are the the number one way of fostering fan communities in the uk right now but i just felt everyone wants to like pat sky sports on the back and pat nfl uk on the back for all they've done i thought what about the bloody fans like no one no one seems no one seems to want to talk about 
talk about them. And I, I have certain theories about this. I think that um, if you're a broadcaster, for example, and you're giving too much credit to the fans, you're not giving enough credit to yourself and you want to feel like, you know, we're the reason. We are, we're Sky or the BBC or we're ITV. We're the reason for all this. So, you know, it's kind of people, I feel like, kind of protecting their position. So I thought, okay, what if I could write a book about what the fans have done to take us from 82 to 2022 and the way they've changed the game and i kind of kicked that around in my head for a bit and i just wasn't entirely sure it was going to be as interesting as i wanted it to be and i woke up one morning and i thought wait there what if each chapter instead of just being about a particular era or a particular story that was happening in the fan community at that point what if each of those chapters was a particular fan's perspective and i get somebody who each person i can speak to for that particular chapter speaks for everybody who was around at that point because the book i felt had to be full of fans voices like i'm a fan but if it was just here's me and what i think about all of this that's just that's one person and i needed it to speak for absolutely everybody and my hope is is that everybody who reads the book will have at least one chapter where they feel oh my god that that's me that's that's been my experience and i think for a lot of people they'll go through and be like oh yeah i can relate to that one Ooh, and that one and that one and that one depending on where they where they came in so if yeah. you're if you're from the old school i imagine there's a lot of those early chapters you're going to feel like oh my god i remember that magazine and i remember <laughs> doing this and this and this and for the newer fans they'll they'll come in at a different chapter but they'll learn what came before you know the people who paved the way the people who made sure that there was still a sport to watch on TV in the late 90s and early 2000s when people had started to drop away and it was only the hardest of hardcore who were watching. It was not a cool thing to do. It wasn't mm. something where you could think, ooh, I, if, I, if I get myself into this, I might be able to make a living out of it. There was none of that. It was just people yeah. who loved the game, keeping it, keeping it alive within the communities over here. So... I just want I just wanted to as someone who has loved the sport for a very long time I wanted to thank the fans it's my love letter to the fans because if there were not lots of people like that I was the sport that we love would not really be much of a thing in this country right now yeah so whenever that whenever stadiums in London are packed out no matter who is in them I think back to those people in the 80s and 90s who just kept the fires burning to make sure that we would have that opportunities. And I, nobody thanks them enough. So hopefully this book is, is the thank you that they want. Yeah, I, I, I get that. And to say, I've not read all of the book, but I'm that far in. I, I, I've certainly got that flavour. Um, you, there's a guy um, you, you mentioned early on, Dan, and I'm pretty much on Dan's level. Uh, and he talks about how he got into it, and like back in the in the 80s, and all the newspapers and the magazines and all the rest of it. How he got into it. Then he, he wanted to take it a, a step further and actually playing. And it's just like his what he talks about in the book. I, I parallel all of what he went through, and most of the people that I grew up with when getting into football. I don't call it American football. I call it football. Um, 
and I call soccer football out as well. So anyone that's talking to me, they don't know where I'm talking about football or football, which is confusing for them. I just call it football. Because if you throw me in American football, I don't say, hey, throw me the American football. I just say, throw me the, bo- throw me the football. But anyway, um, yeah, Dan um, talks about stuff and it's quite interesting actually because it, it was... It was like a, it was like <laughs> it's like wow, someone else does this as well. There's more information available now with the internet, with social media. There's any number of stats that you can find out on any NFL player that's ever played via Google or what have you. But I probably know what well, knew more then than I do now, and I'm not quite sure why that is. It's like in your book, you go on to say that Dan could have named the starting lineup in 32, well, as it was then, it wasn't 32 team or any of the NFL teams. And it's just like, I couldn't do that now. I, 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 hand on heart, I couldn't do that now. I, I can with my team, the Jets, but I, I couldn't overall name you the starting 11 on offense and defense of every single NFL team. And I couldn't, I couldn't reel back all the stats, which is what I could do back in the 80s and 90s. And I would say I'm still as passionate a fan, but for some reason, I've just sloped off on that one now. So it's, it's, it's a little bit odd, but I'm glad that someone else like Dan is doing exactly the same thing as I've done. You know, I think we, we knew we had to work a bit harder in those days. Not everything was freely available. Um, you'd probably have to go and get uh, first down and all those sorts of things. And we were not surrounded by things. You couldn't just put on Game Pass. And I mean, if if you're sat around with nothing to do and you were like, I want to watch some old Jets games, that would be very easy. And obviously back then it might be, okay, well, I'm going to pull up my VHS tapes and I'm going to watch whatever highlights that we got given. So back in those days, every little thing was cherished and poured over. So some of those magazines, like I was in... Um, I was in the National Vintage League warehouse a couple of months back, and there was a pile of um, old issues of Gridiron, Touchdown, and Quarterback magazine, and a lot of issues that I had but don't have any more. And my word, just opening up certain issues, everything coming flooding back, like, wow, how much time did I spend looking at these photos and reading this story? Because it was, you know, it was there was scarcity then. You know, we didn't have, I mean. We had we had lot we had lots of options really, but like compared with now we didn't. So we really really studied. It was our special little thing that sometimes people were just making fun of. You know that's you know it's not a real oh, sport sure. or blah blah blah. So it was a special thing for us, and we just got so deep into it. It was difficult the idea of just being a casual fan of the sport then because people were not. They were like right, I'm getting all in on this. Yeah. Honestly, you, you, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head and it, it, you're absolutely right. It's just like, you, you don't dip your toe in the water. Back then, it was like, I'm fully jumping in. I'm fully immersing myself. And it, that's exactly what it was. And back then, we were, I guess, all of us were sponges. And any little bit of any snippet of information that you could get hold of, be it in the newspapers. That first down magazine, I've got the, sorry, the paper. I've got the last um, ever edition of uh. that it's just like so sad because it was the bread and butter for me personally because it had a lot of the UK um, gridiron stuff on it that was going on at the time t- the local teams which I absolutely loved so for, for me it was um, a sad day when that um, finished but here's the, on the subject of first down uh, going off on a little bit of a tangent because this is what I do 
I was in um, a TGI's in Newcastle and um, we were sat in the booth and the walls were, it was like pieces of old newspapers and things, like sporting, and a lot of it was first down. Oh, wow. I glanced onto, onto this wall and I started reading and I thought, oh my God, that's the game that I played in. It was Crawley <laughs> Raiders versus Granny Trams. <laughs> I was sat on the table and it was like, I was in that game. I played in that game. I'm reading it. It's like bizarre. But, um, yeah, it's interesting that you say. So we've got this evolution of fans. And do you think now that the fan base has changed from what it was then to what it is now? And how so? Um, I mean, it's certainly got a lot bigger. And I think the main way the main way it's changed is that people who've come into the sport in the last, I'm going to say 15 years, or at least say during from the start of the international series um, happening with the Giants and Dolphins, those new fans are used to consuming the sport in a very different way. And there's probably a lot of fans who have watched more of the NFL through the square screen of an Instagram page than they have watching it, watching an actual game. You know, you've got people who are mainly consuming it on social media. You've got people who are mainly consuming it via Red Zone. And you've got people who perhaps are in a bit of a minority who are watching games start to finish um, because that's, to me, that's the proper way of watching it. Yeah. And however however people want to consume it, that's that's on them. That is fine. My preference is I want to watch a whole game and I want to see the ebb and flow of that game. An incredible touchdown out of nowhere means a lot less in when it's just a highlight. When you see it as part of a game you're watching, it's, you know. So the fans have become... <sighs> there's, a, there's a lot of fans who have come in who are, let's say, a kind of casual fan. They perhaps don't think about the sport once the Super Bowl ends, it's done until the next season rolls around. And who am I to tell them that's the wrong way of doing things? Um, there's a lot of younger fans who are very much attached to players and highlights who probably wouldn't dream of watching a full game apart from the Super Bowl, that they'd find it a bit boring. And, you know, unfortunately, there are, there are some people who I think have come in not as true fans and have tried to a little bit take advantage of the community um kind of like carpet baggers that mm -hmm. the nfl looks like a financial opportunity and that if it was if it was nba basketball that was more lucrative that i think they'd probably go for nba basketball as an example right so i feel there are a lot of different fans now whereas back in the 80s it felt like there was just there was one type of fan that we consumed everything the same way that we watched our highlights on channel four and once the games got onto sky as well okay well that's those are the games we're watching and we all had the same experience we all watched the same things and now it's very now it's very different um so i accept that things have to change and not you know obviously new fans aren't bad by by definition 100%. but but there are obviously some people who are i feel not in it for the right reasons right i i think i think without actually saying it what you're saying is like influence influencer types of people the people who will set themselves up as like this is what i am i'm an influencer yeah 
Um, there were plenty of people. I, I, I was speaking with an NFL team um, the other day, and um, they said um, they described me as an influencer and said, you know, I'm not sure if you'd like to be referred to like that. <laughs> um, and you know, I, 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 I then had a conversation on on Twitter. I joked that okay, I'm a I'm a Benfluencer. Um, right. Yeah. I think there I think there are people out there who have spotted an opportunity within the community and are shilling for particular brands because right now the the NFL is kind of a bit hot and lucrative and they want to be able to get something out of this. And yeah. as someone who works in the media, this isn't sour grapes because I get opportunities and the things I see people doing who I feel are not in it for the right reasons, they're not the sort of things that I'd be doing anyway. It's not they're not they're not taking money out of my child's mouth or anything like that. I just at certain points I see those people and I think, God, I see a dozen people on social media every day who I think would be brilliant at that, who would actually be much more knowledgeable, would be in it for the right reasons and bring the community together because there are there are yeah. a lot of people who are working with brands and doing stuff who i see the community just making fun of yeah and yeah. if you don't have the respect of the community then you, that's probably you're probably not the right person for those gigs but maybe i'm wrong maybe those are exactly the sort of person for those gigs because they're not trying to reach the the proper fans um yeah. I don't like the idea of anyone taking the community for granted or taking advantage of the community. It it yeah. it bothers me. And I, and uh, I, I absolutely uh, agree with everything that you've said. And it it does feel like that at times, um, especially on social media. Uh, Instagram feels a little bit worse than it does on Twitter. Um, but um, I, I absolutely and. There's nothing. I'm not. I don't have a problem if someone wants to be a fan of whichever whichever team, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, for a day, or Chicago Bears for a day, a week, a month, a year. That's fine. If you want to, if you want to follow a team this week and then change next week, that's fine. I haven't got any problem with that. If you're liking, loving the NFL, like this community does, this. I'm, I'm stopping short of saying hardcore community because it sounds a little bit like a closed club and it isn't it, it's an all welcoming club it's like when I played football this is American football when I played football anyone that actually came to tryouts no one ever got turned away nobody you, you got given a fair go and if you if you were good enough you got in if you weren't good enough you got let go gently and Sometimes we would find you another role within the club. So every this, the NFL community has always been, as far as I'm aware, welcoming. But now we've got this situation where we have these influencer types or wannabe influencer types, and this and it's just like they're riding. They, it seems to be, and again, I don't want to say you've said it as well. Sour grapes. I don't want it to sound like sour grapes, but they just seem to be riding the coattails of the fundamentals of what has been put down before and it, you know <laughs> I, I, we've yeah got, I, we've got these we've got these fan groups out there and it's just like none of it, 
I myself and I know lots of other people that have never made any money out of this. We've never done anything like that. All we want to do is promote the NFL. Now we're getting like fan groups in there that want to do that kind of thing. And as you say, influencers, they're trying to do that kind of thing. And it leaves a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth when I see this. And it's just, there are so many good fans out there. And it, in, in, in my world, it's, it's Jets Twitter. I'm surrounded by Jets Twitter. I'm on anything Jets on Twitter all the time, every single day, every single day of the week. I'm I'm, I'm on there. I'm on the the, the Jets website. I'm on NFL.com. I try and stay away from anything that's got UK at the end of it because I find it's watered down and it's still dumbed down for the UK market. If you go onto the NFL shop on the UK they're still selling jerseys for the Jets for example um, from players that aren't even on the team that weren't on the, that haven't been on the team for about five years there was a Chris Herndon jersey Chris Herndon <laughs> hasn't played for the Jets for like a thousand moons and his, <laughs> his jersey's on there and it's like £80 for £80 you can buy an Aaron Rodgers jersey and it's just like that kind of stuff really annoys me. It, it's insulting to the fan. You shouldn't be selling that at 80, 80 pounds. It, sh- it shouldn't even be for sale anymore. Get rid of it. And give it to someone to put on eBay for a tenner. <laughs> yeah, it's it's that sort of thing is ridiculous. Um, it's you know, there's. I thought I thought you were going to say um, some of the communication that comes from NFL UK, which I I find there's a certain certain number of fans within the uk who as soon as nfl uk will tweet something will jump on it looking for errors or something a bit stupid and i get it because it frustrates a lot of people um like they felt that when i say they i mean the the fans who are critical of the nfl uk twitter feed um they did not like the attitude about um when it was final cuts day and they used a gift from the Simpsons and it was, I, th- I think it probably was in a little bit poor taste. Mm-hmm. Um, the kind of like, you know, yeah, you're cut, you're cut, you're cut. When we're talking about people's livelihoods, when we know yeah. that the main NFL Twitter account would not do that. True. Like that, that would not be done. So I think people see things like that from, um, from NFL UK. But I mean, I would say to those people who are getting frustrated, and in fact, somebody in the book even says something about this, about how, you know, you've got to remember that if you are, and I'm going to use, I'm going to use the phrase hardcore fan, and I, I don't love that phrase, but I'm talking <laughs> about the, the people who are like, I live for this. Like they love their teams passionately and they are consuming everything and they are knowledgeable and they love, they love nothing more than like, oh, I'm just going to get into like an hour long chat about my team with a fellow fan you know like i'm talking about those sort of people um and the person in the book says you know you gotta remember that that communication from nfl uk is not for you that they are not talking to you yeah you like and the thing is is that i can't there's not many things the nfl could do or the jets could do that would make you feel like you know i'm done with this sport now you know you it's all got its hooks in you it's unlikely that it would take something cataclysmic for you to just walk away. It's not going to be some annoying influencer. It's not going to be um, a poorly worded tweet from NFL UK. Those things are not going to put you off. You're just going to feel like, 
I need to ignore those people and I'm going to talk within my community. That's what I like. So I don't think they're necessarily going to put people off, but maybe they are bringing people in. The, the very, very casual fan of like, oh, you know, here's a, this is a fun thing and I'm, I like it. They're talking to me on my level. They're not talking to the quote unquote experts. They're not talking yeah. to the quote unquote hardcore fan. Right. But it's, it can still be super annoying for a lot of people. And I, you know, I was tweeting about it yesterday because I saw people moaning about, you know, going back to going back to influencers. And I just, I get the frustrations that people, that people have, that they feel that, and and the, the people who I could see moaning about it on Twitter are very inclusive people, people who are always ready to answer any questions about whatever give advice on anything like okay yeah you you're, you're going to this game here's a good place to get tickets and here's where you should tailgate or like yeah i'll answer this question 10 minutes before kickoff of like who should be in your flex spot in your fantasy team those sort of people who without thinking about any of it and not making any money from it just like oh, i like helping the community and though when those people are sick of the nfl uk twitter feed or the sort of people that nfl uk wants to put front and center to represent them i get why those people get so frustrated and yeah. i i feel it even though my position is a little bit different because i'm you know just being a part of the media i feel like i'm at certain points part of the problem you know but i would always like to feel that i speak like a fan as well as a quote-unquote expert that I am I have the I don't want to say I'm the voice of the fans but I have a fan's voice you nobody do. nobody is the voice of the fans it's not one person who speaks for everybody but I you know I feel I have a I have a, a fan's voice I have that perspective and that people will look at me and my contributions and feel like if that person is a net positive for the entire community that he does things that are good for the community ahead of his own benefits like i i can make money from doing stuff with the nfl i'll make pennies on this book i'm sure you know it's I very difficult it, well it's very <laughs> it's very difficult to make good money writing an american football book about the uk but yeah. i didn't i didn't do that because i thought i was going to get a big pile of money i did it because i want people to be able to put something on their bookshelf and be like the uk fans are an official part of history I've got the book to prove it. You know, it's there in black and white, what we did. That's why I do those things. And I I get, and like I say, I, I know I'm, I apologize for bringing it back to the quote-unquote influencers and also for using the phrase quote-unquote all the time. <laughs> but um, it's just, it's felt like a hot topic the last few days because of the fact we're about to get, you know, the first Sunday of the season and lots of people are getting wheeled out who would not be particularly interested in the NFL if they knew they couldn't make a penny from it. Exactly. And then there's there's people like you and many others like you who it would never occur to them of like, how can I monetize this? If if somebody came to you and said, oh, we'd love to sponsor your Jets podcast. Um, you know, we're a particular, we're a particular brand and, you know, we are associated with New York in some way, we feel it'd be a good fit, we'd love to support you, then I think you should, you know, providing they are a then reputable company, 
you should take that money that's great you know because mm -hmm. like you put you put time into this and it will help you widen widen the reach there's absolutely nothing wrong with that but if you felt like well i'm only going to do a podcast if i can make some money from it then to me you're part of you're part of the problem and obviously obviously i know not only are you not like that but 99.99999% of the people who do get off their ass and do things like you're doing 99.99% of them never think about like making any money from it quite the opposite they yeah. just want to put the time in and help people but it's that it's that microscopic fraction who think of it the opposite way and because they can be very good at getting themselves out there and being very pliable you know so okay we want you to say this and it's not necessarily their opinion because they generally don't have their own opinions they will regurgitate whatever the brand wants them to say and right. if the if they're saying what the brand wants them to say then they can continue working with that brand and that person it's a it's a good fit for them they need a puppet and the puppet wants to get paid mm -hmm. so the those those puppets will always get pushed is because they are the most pliable so we're never gonna get totally rid of them um there's that episode of the simpsons a, a halloween episode where i think all <laughs> the giant billboards and ads come to life that's right and, I remember. and they realize the only way to stop them is just ignore them yeah and if i would say just just kind of just cut them out of your feeds like they're probably still gonna be getting their work and doing this stuff but i would say instead of tweeting moaning about them and all that sort of stuff i would say just just mute them or they are them. <laughs> i mean that's the sense that's the sensible attitude because you're probably not gonna be able to change it why get wound up by it yeah people are gonna people are gonna do that and you're gonna do your thing and if you're wasting mental energy and time moaning about them that's mental energy and time you could be putting into your own community Absolutely. so i i've been talking about it recently because i want i want fans of all teams to know that i'm yeah i'm on your side on this um like i could go the other way and try to kind of go that influencer role myself and maybe i would make some extra money out of it but i would lose my credibility and i probably wouldn't get the other work that i do have as being a trusted authentic fan you know yeah. so yeah that's I hear, another I hear one of my rants <laughs> i hear what you're saying and i, I was going to ask this question but you kind of answered it for me and it's getting back to the nfl uk stuff i i, I said um prior to what you've just said it's like i try and avoid anything that has uk at the end of it football da 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 uk because it mm. just seems to suck in my opinion and nfl uk is one of those that does suck and yeah it's to me that it, is just noise and yes it's not aimed at me and you've answered my question which was going to be why do we even need nfl uk why why not just nfl.com but you've answered that in saying because it's not actually aimed at me it's actually aimed more at the casual fan which is a fair uh, assumption to make um I, I i have nothing to do with nfl uk it's just so base and whoever's running that account i don't think they really know what they're doing it's, it's some of the stuff that they put on there is just like 
as you've um, mentioned, it, some of it is just like really insensitive because um, you don't know what you're you're doing, and it's. I think it's just an, a naivety. I don't think it's done purposefully. I, I think it is a naivety. But um, I have the same problem um, with my Jet UK. Um, it's a, a, a UK run account by the Jet, and I have exactly the same problem with them. It's just it's dumbed down, and it doesn't seem to have anything to, to do with fans like myself it's the watered down casual fan that it has more to do with but um let's get on to london games um i am actually not a fan of the london games i would pre- if i would prefer all the games to actually be played in the states however <laughs> the first time the jets did come over here i for for some reason it was a boycott of one i boycotted the game <laughs> so it's just like i'm not going to go because i believe my beliefs are that if you want to go and watch a game go and do it properly go over to the united states go tailgate go in the bar what have you go to the stadium mingle with the, the real fans that's the real experience so the last game that they came and the atlanta game i went to the atlanta game uh, Atlanta Jets game in London in the Tottenham Stadium which is absolutely amazing by the way but I was and I kind of knew what I was getting into I've seen um, the games on TV before and it's like every single team is represented there so when the camera pans around you've got 32 teams all represented which isn't really my cup of tea but um, I was in the stadium and there was a there was a couple sat next to me and I, I think it was more to do with him rather than her she got up to go and get a beer and she was gone for the entire quarter she missed the entire second quarter and when she came back she wasn't even bothered so you know fair fair news he's brought his wife with him but then the person to the right of me asked me who someone was and it was a wide receiver and she says oh is that the quarterback and I said, no, the quarterback's the guy that throws the ball. She went, oh, right. So who's the guy that's just caught the ball? I said, that's a wide receiver. She went, oh, right. And, and, and I've just got chit-chatting. And I said, oh, do you like America? Oh, yeah, I love American football. I've been following it for like three years or something. I'm like, okay, right though. And it's just like, I was in the end zone. And first, this is, this is another thing. I was in the end zone. There were Jets fans dotted around as there were Atlanta fans dotted around. There was no atmosphere at all. It was boring. I've been to games before, like in America, and it's a completely. If you're going, if you're in the end zone, it's a mental place, and it was just boring. No one was particularly watching the game. No one was invested in the game. There were people getting up and down all the time, and it was just the worst experience. I, would I go to another Jets game? Yes, I would go to another Jets game in London. But what I would make sure I did if it was possible because this is another thing I would try and get a block of tickets with other Jets fans uh, to, to sit together so the, the, the Jet, you, you know you're actually going to have a discussion and enjoy the game rather than being stuck So, and this brings me on to the whole ticketing process which is completely wrong and it, it's the kind of person and I think this is in the fork in the road where we're going to kind of split is the kind of person that are going to the London games I don't think are proper, what I would call proper NFL fans. I think they are tourists. They're just going along like they would to Madame Tussauds. I don't think, I don't think that they're the, the same fans as 
I've grown up with. And it, whether that's evolution, I don't know. But it doesn't make, for me, a good experience. Now, I love that comparison of Vanity Swords. That, that really made me chuckle. I know, <laughs> I know what you're getting I, I know what you're getting at, and I've got full sympathy. Um, I think there are a lot of people. In fact, not I think. I know there are a lot of people like you who don't really enjoy those London games. Now, if you imagine that stadium packed with people... I did enjoy very... the pub. The pub was great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but like, if, if you imagine that stadium packed with people who were like you, and I don't, I don't just mean they started watching at this point and they're Jets fans and they're whatever, but I mean their level of love and knowledge was the same as yours. It would be a very different experience in the stadium. But there were lots of people who were like, I can't be bothered. It's too expensive. It's too difficult to get tickets. To a certain extent, I feel that anyone who has managed to get tickets, because getting in that queue and getting a ticket is almost like winning the lottery. Like I, I had I had a friend who was sat next to me when the tickets went on sale uh, last time. Uh, I'm lucky. I've been to every single game in London, every single game, and I've never had to pay because I've either gone as a journalist or I've been invited into a corporate box. I'm saying that just for mm. pure honesty so that I'm everybody knows I am not paying to go to these games. So it's a very different That's experience fine. for me, right? I want I I don't want any kind of like, you know. So he was there and he was there ready and he clicked on it and it said, right, you are like number 654,000 in the queue. <laughs> yeah. And he was and he was like well, that's not happening then, is it? And obviously it didn't happen. And then, so some people will have got tickets and then some of those will immediately resell them. Yeah. So I kind, I kind of feel if you've made the effort to get in the queue, bought the tickets that were not cheap, or you've bought them on a secondary site where they are very, very expensive. If you've invested the time and money into getting those tickets, I've got no problem with you being there. That's kind of my, and I, I get where I get where you're coming from. And I wish the people who were going were more into it. Like I, if they're not as knowledgeable, but they've just got into the sport and they were lucky enough to like be early in the queue because they're like, this is a, this is a new, this is a sport that's new to me. I'm really falling in love with it. I would love to see it in the flesh. And I've managed to get a couple of tickets but I don't know the game that well. I've got full sympathy for those people because there was a point where for all of us, we didn't know the sport that well. And we didn't necessarily have people like me and you judging those people because we didn't really come into contact with them, but we were all new once. And I, my hope is, is that those, those fans, like the ones that you saw, maybe that woman who was gone for in high quarter, maybe she did not want to be there. <laughs> yeah. She was someone's plus one and has no interest in coming back. Um, I feel those people have got as much right to be there as anyone. And I'm not, I feel like I'm putting words in your mouth because you're not saying they've got no right to be there, but I'm saying they've all got a right to be there. What I wish could happen is that I wish that there were a dedicated official fan group for every NFL team. If I was NFL UK, yeah, I would, I would seek out quote unquote, I'm sorry about the phrase, but quote unquote fan leaders. <laughs> so for the Jets, there would be, I'm sure, a handful of people, you know, um, you're not presenting yourself as I am the number one Jets fan in the UK. I am the authority on it. Yeah. But I would say people, someone like you, 
the fact you're producing a podcast for Jets fans, people who do similar things for the Jets community, I would get you people together and say, right, can you give us a list of, let's say, even if it's 500 people, 500 Jets fans who you feel should be guaranteed the chance to buy a ticket, and we'll make sure that behind one end zone, we've got minimum yep. 500 dedicated Jets fans right there. And whoever they're playing, let's say it's the Falcons again, we've got at least 500 dedicated Falcons fans all there together. I've got I've got no problem with seeing not just all 32 teams. Sometimes you'll see defunct. You might see an Oilers jersey. You might see someone there with like an, uh, a, a retro Warren Moon jersey, and you'll see loads of world league jerseys or you'll see brick ball jersey i i actually like that because yeah, i know that we i know we're not going to get a 50 50 split we're not going to get a home atmosphere for any of them i think the closest we've got for a 50 50 split was when the bears and the raiders played i think it was the first game at tottenham i've never seen two teams with a greater percentage of the stadium and i don't know why that was but it felt like there were more Bears and Raiders fans as a percentage in that game than I've seen in any of the other 32 games. And it, for me, that really made a difference. It didn't feel like I was a game in America. It is not even close. They are very different products. Like, if going to a game in London can be very, very expensive if you don't live in London. The traveling down to London, which can cost a fortune, staying overnight in London and doing whatever you're going to do in London yeah, can yeah. can cost a fortune, right? And I've spoken to a lot of people that are like, okay, well, if I double how much I'm spending to go to a game in London, I could go to a game in New York exactly. or wherever. And for them, they'd rather pay twice the price to be visit a foreign country, have an actual home game atmosphere, do some shopping there that you wouldn't be able to do here, come back with like really cool stuff. You you get a much better experience. You know, the, yeah. the games in London are their own thing. A, a, bit, a bit like I've said with like the NFL UK, if you feel it's not speaking to you, it's not for you. And if you feel that those London games are not enjoyable to you, they're not for you. Now, <laughs> your, your position of, I don't think games should be played outside the US, I've got a lot of sympathy with. I, I feel the games in London are really, really useful for growing the game here because it's, it's given the league so much legitimacy in the eyes of the UK media. But I also hate the idea of games being taken away from their home cities. Yes. And I, you, I, you are not alone with your attitude of, I don't think the game should be brought over here. And I, yeah. com I completely get it. I don't think that is a, I don't think that's an exclusionary um, gatekeeping attitude. I think that is more of a purist attitude. I think you, um, I'm now I'm going to put words in your mouth. <laughs> I think I think you would love it if more and more fans come in and love the sport like we do, but that the game stayed in America. I don't think it's contradictory to feel those two things because I think you can, the you know, the two things don't have to go together. Because I, I certainly don't feel like you're worried too many people are getting into the sports. I think you just want them to be into it in the, uh, into it in the right way. That's that's a, that sounds patronising. That you want them to 
come into it, I guess, with the with the right attitude, um, and learn a bit, um, know what has come before, uh, understand the game, at least be willing to willing to learn and kind of, you know, see it the way that we see it. Yeah, it's just it's it's, it's like. And I haven't got a problem. I haven't got a problem with, as I said, if people want to get into the NFL for an hour, a minute, a day, a week, a month, whatever it is, great. Welcome to the community. And it goes back to the influence kind of thing again. It's just like it feels at the moment like the original fans, of which there are plenty of us, are getting overlooked, and the mainstream are these, for want of a better phrase, casual fans in the NFL. And it's, I, I just think it almost feels like we're getting shoved to one side. And what you're saying about the, the London games, and I absolutely agree, it would be incredible if, say, whatever team came up came up and said, right, you know, here's 500 tickets um, for, you know, fans that want to be there. And, and I've mentioned the Bears Raiders in, in a minute. But this goes back to what would happen is, it's like, for example, if it was the Jets, the Jets would then go to um, one of the, there's two fan groups, which I won't mention, but there's two fan groups. They would go to both, probably both of them, and they would say to these fan groups, here you go, here's these tickets. I have nothing to do with these fan groups, so I'm going to miss out because these two fan groups, for me, they are the antithesis of what we've been talking about. They are these casual fans. Don't get me wrong, there are some um, fans within these groups that really know their stuff. They're really great people. But overall, these fan groups, uh, it's, they've got, there's one of the fan groups, I think they've got something like over a thousand people in their in their group. But no one, on their, on their Facebook page, no one posts anything about football. It's all about non-league soccer. And it's just like, what is that about? <laughs> This isn't meant to be like a football page, and you're talking about non-league soccer. It's like, what's this about? So, there's there's not even like this commitment. Yeah, I'm a Jets fan, but I'm going to talk about Port Vale at wherever or whoever. I don't know, but it's just, and it's just like, if, if you're going to do it, do it properly. If you want to be a fan, be a fan. But getting back to the what you mentioned about the Raiders and the Bears, and, and you know, it's in your book. These, these fan bases, they've probably one of the older fan bases within the UK community. And and it shows. And I mean, we know the 85 Bears was what a lot of fans in this country got into. Who, who doesn't? I mean, I still remember the 85 Bears. I could pretty much remember, especially on defence, who, who played who and what have you. Not just William Refrigerator Perry, but just nothing. Anyway... And the Raiders are another one, you know, back in the day, they were one of the most popular teams too. And this is all in your book. So I think that's why the London game was represented in that way. But you're right in what you're saying. It's like these tickets go on sale. First off, you've got the season ticket holders. So they're not even going to get in the queue. And it's the season ticket holders. I've got really got an issue with this. Is if you're a season ticket holder and you're a fan of a particular team, are you, because I'm not, are you going to go to every single one of those games? Say, and I know people that do, and I haven't got a problem with that. But it seems to me that a lot of the season tickets are allocated to people. If their team isn't playing, they're instantly reselling the tickets, 
and then putting them on for an extortionate amount of money. And, you know, we've got tourists coming in that that want to go to these games. Again, it's, it's part of the thing. You know, I've been on the London Eye, I've been to Madame Two Swords, now I'm going to take in an NFL game in London. It's all on the tick box list. It's all there. And these are the people that are now going to these London games. And it's just not good. For me, it's, as an NFL fan, as a Jets fan, it's not good. It's boring. And I've just forked out, as you've rightly said, I don't live in London. I live in the north of north of England. So I've got to fork out money to go down there. I've got to fork out for accommodation. And then, of course, you know, what do you do in London? Are you just going to sit in your hotel and tell the game? No, you go out. The prices of London drinks and food and everything is extortionate. And I've had this discussion with a friend of mine. I'm not, I'm not even sure why it has to be in London. Why does it have to be in London? You know, we play, we've played European Cup games. We've played World Cup games in stadiums all over the UK. But we're centralising it in London. It's not... The, it's not... It's, it's the capital city. And there's all that history and all that razzmatazz of London and beef eaters and red telephone boxes and the Queen, well, the King now and all the rest of it. There's all that jazz that goes with it. But it should, in my opinion, it would have been far better suited in somewhere like Manchester, Old Trafford, or even Liverpool, Birmingham, the centre of the country. But no, we've got to have it in London because everything's London centric. Well, it- I on on that topic, number one, it is London centric, <laughs> but that's the the NFL. So when the international series started, it took a while for the NFL to be able to persuade the owners to agree to this. And they needed it to be, for them, as simple as possible. So that meant the UK, not Germany, despite the fact, you know, we're talking about just after NFL Europa, as it was at the end. NFL Europa had closed, which had five German teams and one Dutch team, I guess, at that point. So predominantly German. Germany was the core European market. But it was tricky for the NFL to sell the owners on Germany. It's too foreign. The food is too different. There's the language barrier. But selling them on London, very, very easy. And the NFL has tried to always make it as easy for those teams and owners as possible. As an example, the NFL's official hotel in London is the Landmark Hotel in Marlborough, which is right by Marlborough train station. Why do they pick that? Because you can get a train direct from Marlborough right to Wembley Stadium Station in 10 minutes. It is by far the quickest way of getting from the centre of London to Wembley. So NFL dignitaries and officials step out of their hotel, step onto a train, and within 15 minutes, they're basically there at the stadium. Everything was kind of for their convenience. Now, could you have it outside London now? Well, the problem is, Manchester, Liverpool and Birmingham, neither of those, none of those cities have a stadium that can accommodate an NFL field. Wembley was the only one at the time. And then they were able to reconfigure Twickenham a little bit and just about make it work. And obviously at Tottenham, because the NFL got involved with Tottenham and the new stadium, they made sure that it was completely configured for the NFL. It has separate NFL changing rooms at Tottenham. As as a journalist who has gone into the locker rooms to speak to people after games, 
you go into the Wembley locker rooms. And if you've ever done a tour of Wembley Stadium, you've gone in the changing rooms. If you've ever done that, try to imagine what it's like with a 53-man roster <laughs> and all the coaches, because they are literally in the same changing rooms that, say, the England team use. Yeah. It is not set up. They have to. It's absolute bedlam in there. Whereas at Tottenham, it is like an NFL locker room. It is set up exactly the same way. So there is an argument to be made to have it outside London. I think you'd struggle to persuade the NFL to do that. But those stadiums are not configured because it was only ever Tottenham with the foresight, for want of a better word, to actually build in NFL compatibility. And if, if Wembley hadn't been suitable, we might not have had the games. They might have all been in Germany from the start because, or there was never an international series. But Wembley's pitch is so big and there's so much space around the pitch, they were able to do it. So I think that they are so much in on the London brand, not just the UK, but the London brand in America mm -hmm. that I think it's going to be, I mean, if anything, I think we're going to be, in terms of number of games in London, I think it's going to plateau because they'll now want to get Germany up to speed. Ah, right. So this, so, this is, you know, and this is where um, you've used that word plateau, which is the word that I used um, when we've been talking. Um, yes, previous. yes. I fully believe that NFL fans in this country have plateaued. I don't think, again, it goes back to the different kinds of fans. I think the fans like us, have plateaued and you've now got this new football fan that is now inhabiting social media the stadium and all the rest of it do you think getting back to something else um you touched on um it's it it's for the fans it's growing the sport in this country i am of the impression that the nfl have come to, to London to make money and not particularly, I think growing the game in this country is secondary to actually making money. Would you agree with that? Um, I would say growing the game is what leads to the money. Growing the game is what leads to getting more Game Pass subscribers, selling more merchandise on the UK store. I mean, like we are basically just eyeballs and wallets for the NFL. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> now, we shouldn't feel too hard done by because that's how the NFL looks at all American consumers as well. Now, individual teams do fantastic work in their local communities. And I don't know the things that the Jets have been doing in the New York, New Jersey area, but I'm sure they do loads of fantastic things, outreach community stuff. And the Jets and the Bears have done joint ventures in the UK they started it in London and they, it is expanding nationwide, but um, girls flag football competitions, yeah, seen that. Um, which which is fantastic. So individual teams, I think, are doing things. And even then, you might feel like, well, this is to make sure that there are Bears and Jets fans. And it's quite savvy, actually, the Bears and Jets working together on this. But you can you can look at it in a cynical way that they're doing this to create the next generation of fans that are just eyeballs and wallets. But I think teams individually do fantastic things um, for their communities. The NFL really is looking at us as wallets and eyeballs. Well, and bearing in mind I, that anything, I get it. Bearing in mind that I am 
glued to anything Jets. If 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 the if someone writes the word Jets on the internet, I'm seeing it. <laughs> yeah. And it's just and this this just had me scratching my head, and I was actually I probably shouldn't say this, but it actually really upset me. The Jets really upset me. They dropped the ball on this one. What you've mentioned with the flag football, it was the girls' flag football. I didn't know anything about it. Nothing, nothing about it. But there were a few people in this country, Jets fans, in Jets groups, that did know about it. Now, these people aren't press, and they got invited along. Now, these people in these Jets fan groups didn't think it in the interest of other Jets fans to inform people, hey, this is going on, blah, 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 blah. You might not be invited to go along, even though it was played in a, a public arena that you could have gone along if you'd known it was there. The first I knew about it was when it appeared on the Jets UK website. I'm like, what the hell? When did this go on? And I'm someone that would love to promote anyone, especially young people, getting into playing football, be it flag football, semi-contact, full contact. I, I would love to have been a part of that. I would have loved to have promoted it. I would have loved to have gone along to it. As I say, I live in the north of England. Would I have gone and watched? Yeah, I probably would. I probably would have done. I think there was a couple of ex-players that were down there as well. It would have been a good day out. I would have loved it and I would have liked to have shown my support. But the Jets UK didn't think that it was in anyone's interest, fans-wise. I can't speak for the Bears, but the Jets UK didn't think it's in anybody's interest for anyone of, of the fan groups to, to promote it within and say, hey, this is going to go on. Come down, support the girls. Now, that's awful. That's terrible. Yeah, I, I, I'll be honest. I don't know. I don't know how big the Bears went in terms of promoting it at the time. Um, it might be that this might be a kind of um, a weird way of looking at it, but it might be there are safeguarding issues, so they don't want to encourage people to be like, come and watch these kids. Um, that for this, for you perhaps can't put certain information out there that kids will be in a certain place. I, I honestly don't know. Um, I I think getting the fan groups more involved, and for the four teams like the Jets, and the, I include... Um, I include the Bears in this, I include the 49ers in this. Any team that has UK marketing rights, of which obviously there's a handful, that they need to really be on it with their UK fans and understand that there is, there, it's a very wide and diverse group of fans. And that's why I was saying how when, if you had a situation where it was like, right, there's going to be a block that are just for Jets fans, I would find as many of these fan leaders as possible. I wouldn't be like, ah, right, look, this one is down as NFL, Jets, UK, you know, whatever. Mm. And they've paid verification. So they've got the little tick there. I'll go to them. I would want to go everywhere. I would want to get a wide group knowing that the way that things can be splintered, I want to be right. Okay. We are casting our net wide and I would have it that I would be able to speak to all of those all of those leaders even if I never spoke to them all together because they might not get on I would speak to a wide group of them because 
I would like to think I'd have the sense to know, right, okay, well, look, this is the group for like the new casual fans. They're really useful. We need to, to speak to them in a certain way. This group, they're the hardcore fans. They want to, they want somebody to, you know, they're the sort of people who are going to be, someone's going to turn up in a Mark Gastineau jersey. We want to be like, look, look at that. That's cool. Or whatever. Because it's so what there are so many fans in the uk right now that there can't be one voice for a a group of fans it's impossible yeah. uh -huh. because there, there are too many and you know something um when you get to the chapter where i speak to chris milner who runs national vintage league and he's a really interesting guy because when the book is in chronological order because i'm i'm looking through the different eras and moments in history that got us to where we are today and he only became a fan in the last um 15 years but i've got him early in the book and the reason for that is everything he's done around national vintage league and the importance of nfl fashion in the 90s helping to keep the nfl alive in people's consciousness and on the high streets and he is an absolute expert on that and one thing that he preaches is how the the and he's not one of them but how the older original fans are ignored and that one of the things he loves about getting in these jerseys is being able to you know say to a jets fan look I've got this Ken O'Brien replica jersey. You're not going to see it. many of those around, <laughs> you know? That's and that and you know that sort of thing. You know, he he loves that. And he he was there banging on at me about like god the the older fans, the original fans do not get enough credit. And I'm like, yeah, preach. Because he absolutely gets it because he's a quote unquote newer fan. But if, I guarantee if you sat down with him, you'd love that guy, you know? Because I know I know that you're not like I don't like the new fans, but that's someone who just who gets how there's different groups of fans mm -hmm. and will be able to, to you know to he's got a, he's running a business he's got to be able to speak to all of those people you know so people like him can get it I wish the teams would get it more but especially yeah. those ones who are marketing themselves in the UK because they've got a really fantastic opportunity and this season and everything that's happened in the off season um is creating a lot of new jets fans whether oh, that's sure. whether it's outreach stuff in the uk whether it's hard knocks whether it's simply the signing of aaron Rodgers, whether it's people realizing okay this is one of the most exciting teams in the league right now it's a team that can have legitimate super bowl aspirations so there's going to be all these new people coming in and you've got to manage that in a way you know, you've got to accept that not everyone is going to be the same. It's like if you're if you're planning a wedding, you know, that seating plan is important, right? Who's sitting next to who and who's where? I feel that's something that the teams need to do more and they need to be able to respect the different the different types of fans that they have. Because we don't want anyone to be excluded. We don't we don't want the new fans to be excluded, but we don't want to be, we don't want the original fans being talked down to or ignored because they're not the shiny new thing anymore. Yeah. And as as far as plateauing, I think the NFL is still going to be creeping up slowly. I see things like I was uh, I was out for my wedding anniversary last night, as you know. Congratulations. And thank you. <laughs> um, and I 
I got back and I caught the, the tail end of the Rugby World Cup match that was on at that point. And ITV, at the end of that broadcast, was saying, and coming up at 1 a.m., our NFL season preview. And I thought, there's a lot of people who are going to be watching this, this rugby match. And they're talking about the NFL right now. And that, to me, kind of summed up how the sport is still growing. It's just, it's not going to be able to explode again because I think we've had, we've had multiple explosions. Mm -hmm. uh, we were part of one and a lot of the new fans right now, they were part of one as well. So I don't see another explosion because I don't see us having a big dip. Maybe it's a plateau, maybe it's not. And it might be we're getting into semantics because I think it is going to slowly grow, but I don't think it's going to be, there's not going to be any massive changes, I don't think. And I wouldn't be surprised if we stick with three London games going forward. And it's, it's kind of a good measuring stick. Like if they turned around and said, right, there's going to be one game in London next year then that suggests that it's all going downhill. If they said, you're going to have five, then it suggests it's all it's all going up. And I think we're probably going to stick with three. Mm. I think what's going to make the biggest change for the future is not something necessarily that fans are going to do, but it's something that fans will be able to relate to. And it's players coming through NFL Academy in Loughborough and getting into the NFL. Actual British kids who have been well coached in Loughborough, getting into a university with a scholarship and getting themselves into either drafted or an undrafted free agent and actually making plays. And if we've got to a point where it's like there's say 15 British, young British men on NFL rosters, you know, they don't need to be superstar quarterbacks, but they're there, they're making the rosters and they are playing. I think a lot of fans will engage with the sport in a different way that they will, they will see it as a more British thing than it is because they'll see that path. And they might not think, oh, I want my son or grandson to be playing in the NFL. But the fact there's a pathway is a very, very direct connection. And there are certain European countries that are production lines for the NBA because basketball is taken more seriously in those countries than it is in the UK. So for them, it feels like a very, very strong connection to the NBA that I feel we don't have in the UK. Mm -hmm. I would love to see that happen with the NFL. I think I think for the future, that's the thing that will make the biggest difference. Yeah, I think uh, I, I, I totally agree. And it would be amazing. I think the, the UK game isn't, and you hit the nail on the head. We had these boom periods where actual people were joining UK teams and they were really great teams. And I would say that the, the actual level of play was probably on par with like really good high school football because there is a huge, huge um, difference in, in a size, athleticism and all the rest yeah. of it. But um, before we wrap this up, I want to get back to your book. Is I want to use a wet people's appetites about <laughs> this book. What Give me a favourite bit of the book and... Um, yeah, which which is the? Do you have a favourite bit in this book? So, uh, to answer that, I first want to tell you about my process for writing it, which um, you know, it, because it all started kind of quickly when I when I decided here's what the book should be. I wanted to 
submit that idea to Pitch Publishing, who are the uh, biggest independent sports publishers in the UK. And I thought that's who I'd most like to work with. And at least if they don't want it, I'll get some feedback so that I can pitch it to someone else with that extra information in mind. As it is, I emailed them that morning and by that night I'd signed a contract. It was that quick. They were that Amazing. keen Amazing. on it all. And I got started pretty quickly. I'd kind of had started my list of people who I wanted to speak to. And what I would do is I would interview them for a few hours and I would then write that chapter. So I wasn't writing it in the order that it's in the book. It was just a matter of when I could speak to people. Yeah. And once I'd done that interview with that person, I did not do anything else on the book until I'd finished writing that chapter. I lived in that chapter. I lived right. in, that, in that person's NFL life until I was done. I couldn't go back and forth. I had to be so invested in that person and their experience. That was, that was me feeling like that I have to do this to really do this person justice. That at that point, they're the only person that matters. So every chapter when I did it, I was, I was so in that person's head. I'm listening to the conversations back and I'm, I'm reading the words and I was so into it. But if I had to pick, if I had to pick something, it was, it was Dan Turles chapter talking about the, how the NFL grew because of the merchandise that was available yeah, in yeah. the, in the early to mid eighties to the, to the start of the nineties, because it was the one that just gave me the most pangs of nostalgia. It just really, just really hit me in the nostalgia gland. You know, it just, everything he was saying just took me back to what was, I feel a special time for the sports in this country, not better, but a special time for a lot of us. And what Dan doesn't know about the merchandise and media of that era is just not worth knowing. Yeah, He's the only person <laughs> who I would have to like, while I was writing the book, I would have to sometimes ask him, am I misremembering this? Was this a thing? And he could then look something up in one of these magazines or newspapers that he's recollected and confirm those things with me. Like we had to sit and go through some ads to figure out exactly how many teams had merchandise in the UK in the 80s. Because obviously it wasn't a very big number. So being able to have him as a resource as well as simply an interview subject made that one perhaps the most special to me because I had to do it in you know a number of a number of ways. And you know, everyone was everyone was so generous with their time. Everyone said at the beginning of each interview like you've given us two hours for this there's no way we've got enough for two hours to talk about I'm like we'll get to two hours and you'll be like oh but i didn't talk about this and i didn't talk about <laughs> this and it was like that every single time once you got people started talking about their life as a fan and what got them to where they are and what it was about that era and you know that sort of thing it all came flooding out and Dan perhaps was the greatest example of that. And I, I want more people to know um, to know about to know about Dan Turl because I think he is such an absolute gem in this in this community. Now, I will say I think you should follow him on Twitter. And I know I'd sent you the um, his Twitter handle, which does have UK in, but yep. <laughs> but it's because it's specific. I mean, it, it's so the the 
Twitter name is at UKNFL1982 underscore 92. That's UKNFL1982 underscore 92. Because it's a very specific thing. And for, for those of you listening who were fans in that era, you will go onto that Twitter account and you will just keep scrolling and be yeah, like, oh my I'm... God, I haven't seen one of those in ages. <laughs> and you will love it. And again, he's not someone who's, I mean, I would love to, I'd love to make a big glossy coffee table book with him, photographs of all that merchandise and write stuff up. I'm not sure. As if it would be an expensive project, so I'm not sure that could ever work. But my God, like that's the sort of thing I would love to hold in my hands and and look at that. It would be wonderful. Photography is expensive. That's the problem. But when you when you're working on a book like this and you get to spend time with those sort of people, it is just an absolute joy. It was so wonderful writing the book. I loved every minute of it, and I think people are going to read it and love it. And here's the thing that may surprise some people. As much as you'll enjoy reading it, I enjoyed writing it even more because I didn't just have the chapter on those people. I got to spend time with those people and really live in their memories. And that was absolutely wonderful. And I hope that the fact that this book exists will make people feel like, well, I could write a book about my particular niche of UK NFL fandom and yes i'm a professional writer so i guess it's easier for me to write a book but the point is is that there is a market out there for it and i hope that this is just the start that people are like okay well i want to write a book about the evolution of jets fans or whatever just something that makes them think do you know what people do want to know this and the community will support these sorts of Project. So I'm I'm so grateful that everyone who's bought the book and all the feedback I've got because this sounds big-headed. I'm not surprised that people love it because I'm the sort of person who would be buying that book and I would love it. I wanted to make it that I loved it, and if I loved it, then other people would love it. But hearing that is so gratifying, and I can only take a certain amount of the credit. I'm just the conduit for those people and their and their stories. You know, I. It was so wonderful to write, and I hope that it's not just something that gets treasured by fans reading it and feeling validated of like, yeah, look, we exist. We've achieved things that I hope it inspires people to to do more, whether it's maybe inspires them to start their own podcast or start a fan group or do something to help the community, I guess. Yeah. Ben, this has been absolutely amazing. And can you do you want to let people know where they can get hold of this amazing book? Um, you can get it from Amazon UK. You can get it from WH Smith, Waterstones, Bookshop.org. Um, all those online retailers will have it. If you go to Pitch Publishing's website, you will also be able to um, you'll be able to find direct links there. If you follow me on Twitter at tweets from Ben, um, you'll find the links there and. Please, if you do read it and enjoy it, please, please, please leave a review on Amazon. Even if you don't buy it from Amazon, you buy it from somewhere else. Reviews on Amazon, I'm told by the publisher, are so important for visibility so that when people in the UK are searching for NFL books, it will also show them this book because it's got a pile of positive reviews. And that spread the knowledge of the community because 
like I say, I'm not getting rich off this book. This is not my main source of income. It'd be nice to make some money from it. But what would be even nicer is to have that book out in enough places so that people know our story. This is Absolutely. all of our stories. Ben, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, everybody, that's Ben Isaacs and his book, The American Football Revolution, is, as he says, it's on Amazon and all good suppliers like Waterstones, WX Smith, The Bookshop and Pitch Publishing. It, honestly, Ben, we're going to have to do this again sometime. And um, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And I can't believe I, I haven't followed you before mm-hmm. on Twitter, but I do now. And I've got your book here and I can't wait to read the rest of it. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me. And I'd love to come back on. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Cheers, Ben. Bye. All gas, no brake.